0: not going to talk about basketball nothing's uh, happened with our team in the last six hours we're going to start the same way tonight Um, any basketball questions uh, don't matter Um, since we left shoot around 14 children were killed 400 miles from here and and a teacher and in the last 10 days we've had elderly black people killed in a supermarket in buffalo we've had asian churchgoers killed in southern california and now we have children murdered at school when are we going to do something i'm tired i'm i'm so tired of getting up here and offering condolences to to the So I ask you, Mitch McConnell, I ask all of you senators who refuse to do anything about the violence and school shootings and supermarket shootings, I ask you, are you going to put your own desire for power ahead of the lives of our children and our elderly and our churchgoers? Because that's what it looks like. It's what we do every week. So I'm fed up. I've had enough. We're gonna play the game tonight, but I want every person here, every person listening to this to think about your own child or grandchild or mother or father or sister brother. How would you feel if this happened to you today? We can't get numb to this. We can't sit here and just read about it and go, Well, let's have a moment of silence. Yeah, go dubs, you know. Come on, Mavs, let's go. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go play a basketball game. And, and 50 senators in Washington are going to hold us hostage. Do you realize that 90 percent of Americans, regardless of political party, want background check, universal background check? Ninety percent of us. we are being held hostage by 50 senators in Washington who refuse to even put it to a vote, despite what we, the American people want. They won't vote on it because they want to hold on to their own power. It's pathetic. I've had enough.
1: Wendell's world of sports. Before I get into speaking about the what's going on in the world of sports, I wanted to play that clip and echo the same sentiment as Coach Kerr, what he said before the start of Game 4 between the Dallas Mavericks and the Golden State Warriors. Him speaking about the tragedy that happened in Uvalde, Texas, and also mentioning the domestic terrorist events that happened in California and also uh, Buffalo, New York, with the exception of the gunmen. In each one of those instances, my thoughts and prayers and condolences, uh, and my sympathies go out for those who have uh, lost loved ones. Say this before we go ahead and start the program, and I start speaking about the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics, and before I start speaking about NIL, and before I start speaking about the beef between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher and speaking basketball and all those type of things, before I get into any of that Again, I just want to echo my thoughts and prayers and condolences, and I also want to uh, once again uh, go ahead and kind of give a kind of give offer some advice when over the next couple of days, and this has already started. When we are going to be asking for a moment of silence in respect for those whose lives were lost, whose families were devastated by this domestic terrorist. We, we, when we're asking for a moment of silence. No more moments of silence. No more moments of silence. The last thing that we need to be dealing with, the last thing that we need in this country when something like this happens is moments of silence. That's the last thing that we need. You know what we need? We need to be speaking to each other. We need to be educating each other and most importantly because my generation, too late. The generation before and after me, too late because we're too ignorant, we're too stupid, we're too selfish to really make some change. Because there's just too many people in this country, in my generation, in your generation, both above and yours, above mine and below mine, they're just way too ignorant, they're way too selfish to do anything. That basically they care more about their guns, They they care more about their ability to get guns than they are about anybody else. Because they figure if it ain't gonna be happening to me, if it's not going to be happening to one of my family members, if it's not going to be happening to one of my children, then yeah, that sucks, but I can find other avenues to go down to justify why gun laws, new gun laws, better gun laws, stronger gun laws, that background checks shouldn't happen. So we can go ahead and we can go to our teams, we can go to our, our corners to where... We believe the stupidity of folks who say that you know what, if you go ahead and you put in new gun laws and then you put in new, tougher restrictions and far background is concerned for those who get a gun that somehow someway this is going to be the precipice this is going to be the starting point for eventually the federal government taking your guns and eradicating the second amendment you can believe that stupidity you can believe that bullshit you can believe that nonsense you can still go with the, the stupidity of well this is more of a mental health issue than it is a gun issue you can go ahead with that stupidity and nonsense but For the younger generation, we can't fall into that. For those who are going to be running this country, when my generation is said and done, when we're six feet under or we're in heaven or we're in hell or we're wherever, man, we need to start educating our children right now to let them know that, man, this stuff that is happening right now, too late for my generation to change anything. But for you guys, you have an opportunity. You have a chance. Start educating these people. Start educating the future voters so the likes of Ted Cruz, evil, pathetic scumbags like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and Marjorie Taylor Greene and these fucking numbskulls and Greg Abbott and Rick DeSantis and all these fucking numbskulls who want to sit there and talk about more guns, more guns. Teachers in classrooms need to, be, need to have guns to protect themselves. People who come up with those ideas, people, Mitch McConnell, these fucking jackasses who would rather have power and control over the lives of others because everybody... They figure they know that the next gunman who commits this domestic terrorist, they ain't gonna be they ain't gonna be coming to the schools where their grandsons and their children go to school. They're not gonna be coming into the neighborhoods where they live. They're gonna be immune to all of this stuff. So they can go ahead and speak their rhetoric and speak their bullshit and speak their nonsense and speak their stupidity. And the people who vote for these assholes are gonna be believing the stupid shit that they say. So it's too late for my generation. It's too late for the Generation below and above me, but for the younger generation, man, let's keep having that conversation. Let's just keep educating them. Let's just keep pounding away at them. So in 20, 30, 40 years, a Ted Cruz or a Josh Hawley or a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a AOC or these extremist bullshit Congress people on the left and the right, the Louis Gomers, the Dan Patricks, the Greg Abbott's of the world, that these people will not exist that their agendas will not exist, that their preachings will not exist. Let's teach the younger folks. Let's teach the folks who in a few years are going to be voting and getting introduced to what the world's all about for real to let them know that, you know what, the ignorance and the race baiting and the hatred that is being spewed by Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram and all the rest of these far right-wing jackasses ain't going to fly, not going to fly. We're going to be about unity. We're going to be about peace. We're going to be about harmony. We're going to be about love. We're going to be about togetherness. That's what this country should eventually be about. It's not going to be in my lifetime. It's not going to be in your lifetime. But man, for your grandkids, it's got to be in their lifetimes, man. This world ain't going to last the way that we're moving right now. This country is not going to last another 250, 300 years. Man, this country might not even last another 100 years the way that we're going right now. And the people who are perpetuating this and the people who are responsible for this, they don't give a fuck because in 100 years, they'll be dead and gone, so they don't care. All they're trying to do is accumulate power and money and let it, let it be so they can enjoy the rest of their 30, 40, 50 years on earth. They don't give a fuck about what they're leaving. As long as they can leave a big pile of money and a whole lot of power in their hands, they don't give a damn about anybody else. They don't give a damn about you. They don't give about the, the they don't give a damn about the stupid ass in Georgia who want to walk around in a Walmart by showing off his guns. The people, the constituents of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and Louie Gomer and Rick DeSantis and Greg Abbott and the rest of these fucking jackasses, they don't give a shit about you. They don't give two shits about you. All they want is your vote they can accumulate their power and they'll say any type of stupid shit out there to have you vote for them and you're fucking dumb enough to believe it too late for you guys too late too far gone but for the younger generation man for the 18 year olds for the 15 year olds for the 12 year olds for the 20 year olds of this country of this world right now Man, let's see what we can do to educate them, man. Let's see what we can do to go ahead and let them experience other races and faces and places and genders and people. Because you know what's more powerful than hate? Love, education, and acceptance. Education, acknowledgement, or knowledge and education will supersede hatred and bigotry and ignorance every single day. Awareness, being in another environment, learning from other people. Those things will overcome the hatred and the lies and the stupidity that's being spewed out right now currently when we're speaking about, hey, it's a mental health issue, nothing that we can do. And these assholes are waiting another 48, 72 hours. Once the news media moves on to something else, once all the interviews with the victims' families are done, once we finish with the screaming and the yelling about gun control and background checks before... We got another 24 to 48, possibly 72 more hours. We got another three days left before the news cycle moves on and we just go back to doing our everyday thing before we start worrying about how we're going to pay our bills, about what we're going to do about our kids, what we're gonna be going to be doing and going and for vacation of the summer, finding a job. Before we get back into our everyday lives, we kind of took pause to find out what was happening in terms of children being murdered, little innocent children being murdered, we're going to pay attention to that for a couple of days say damn that sucks sucks for them and they'll go back right go right back to what we're doing too selfish too ignorant that's what we are so we need to stop just a little bit and teach the younger generation man this shit ain't okay go out and find yourself go out and speak to somebody go out and hang out with somebody go out Social media, man. These kids today, they know so much about social media. They can get in touch. They can become friends with anybody on TikTok, on Snapchat, on any of these social media platforms that these kids are on right now. Encourage them. To go ahead man start a conversation online with somebody from another part of the world from another religion of different background different race different gender have a conversation start something in terms of learning about something learning about something learning about other people so this bullshit will not happen anymore or at least at the very least when this shit does happen that things will truly get done and it's not going to be happening in the year 2022 but hopefully In the year 2032, 2042, 2052, and then to the 22nd century, if this planet, if this world is still moving and grooving, man, maybe something can happen. So that's my thoughts and opinions about what's happening. I don't want to hear any more about moments of silence and other bullshit like that. Get the shit done by talking to the younger generation talking to the next generation of voters, talking to the school children, talking about it in school, talking about it amongst each other, talking about what we can do to bring unity and harmony and peace and love, regardless of anything else. Environment, acknowledgement, education trumps everything. And I said the T word, which means I said a really bad word. But that supersedes everything, man. So let's go ahead and let's get things done. So with that being said god bless everybody man let's see what we can do just to strengthen ourselves love peace unity for everybody would be a good start and speaking of starts let's start the show ladies and gentlemen welcome to the most unique entertaining and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to let's be great Let's be great. Wendell's world in sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in.
0: Giannis
1: tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C., metropolitan area, rip, ruin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. been a long time. I shouldn't have kept you without a strong podcast to step two. Think of how many weak podcasts you slept through. Well, time's up, and I'm sorry I kept you. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today. In the World of Sports. I want to apologize, I should have put this out on a Monday or a Tuesday when I do my podcasting, when I record what's happening in the world of sports, when I record my podcast episodes both on YouTube and also as far as the audio version of Wendell's World of Sports, I always like to do it on either a Sunday night or a Monday, so it can be published on that Monday night or Tuesday afternoon. What happened was that I was going ahead and I recorded this on a Monday night. But before I could go ahead and publish it, there was some technical difficulties with the recording devices that I was uh, doing it on, so... When I figured out that, oh my goodness, this thing did not go through, it was already Tuesday morning. I was heading up to Mesquite, to which I wasn't going to be coming back until Wednesday afternoon. Then Thursday, I had to get some affairs and other things in order. And I decided, you know what, let me go ahead and uh, go ahead and record the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix, or Dallas Mavericks and the Golden State Warriors since. Many people thought that was going to be a sweep, Dallas won game five. So just in case something fluky, just in case something, you know, unusual happened with Dallas winning game five, that uh, possibly I could go ahead and then talk about that. Or even if the Warriors went ahead and closed out the series, which they did, which gave them the Western Conference Championship, I could go ahead and talk about that. I'm recording this, though, on a very early Friday afternoon. I'm doing that because school is over. Summer vacation has started, so now I can get back to my regular on the regular. But that's one of the reasons. That's the main reason why, when you're speaking about why is this podcast coming out on a Friday, what happened Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? Well, that's what happened. I recorded this on a Monday. Everything went down. Had to go to Mesquite for a couple of days, so that didn't give me the opportunity to go ahead and publish something until today. So um, I I very much apologize for those who are waiting with bated breath, every week to hear what I have to say, my ramblings about what's happening in the world of sports. And thank you very much for allowing me to give my thoughts. Opinions and feelings about what's happening in this world in terms of the many instances of domestic terrorism which has been threatening, which has been happening in this country recently. So I thank you very much for that. Wendell's world of sports. I'm your host, Wendell Waller. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, before we get into what's happening with the Eastern and Western Conference NBA finals, before we get into Colin Kaepernick having his tryout with the Las Vegas Raiders, before we get into this whole Nick Saban versus Jimbo Fisher and NIL and is it good for college football and basketball and what we need to do. And is Texas A&M really buying all of their players to Jackson State, pay somebody, or Travis Hunter, a million dollars to go to his school, Jackson State and HBCU school, instead of staying with his commitment to Florida State. Before we get into all of those things, I just want to say thank you very much for listening to my podcast. If you're listening to this anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, Amazon, Spotify, iTunes, whatever. Here's what I need for you to do, Wendell's World is Sports. What I need for you to do, if you truly do like this program, you go ahead, you download, you subscribe, you follow, you rate, you review, I think which is the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to, most importantly, enjoy these podcasts, the things that I put out on a weekly basis. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you're watching this on my YouTube channel, you could do me a favor. You could just go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel and then go ahead and like this video. If you truly do like this video, I would very, very much, very, very much uh, appreciate that. I've been getting some people now who have been subscribing to my YouTube channel, and I thank you so much for that. I'm going to try to do my gosh darnest, both with the audio and with the video of my podcast to make sure that I give you the best podcast that I can give. I'm not going to say it's the greatest, but for me, it's going to be the best. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace. so glad that you could be with us. So for those who are into sports, for those who will want to be listening to the what's going on in the world of sports, my thoughts and opinions, man, here we go, man. Let's go ahead. NBA Conference Finals, uh, the Western Conference Finals have been settled. Golden State, now the Champions after winning Game Five back in uh, San Francisco, good victory, solid victory. Led the entire way, fatal complete, really. Once the uh, once really the uh, third quarter hit, Clay Thompson was spectacular. Um, the Golden State Warriors, sixth time uh, in the era of Clay and Draymond and Steph, Steve Kerr, their head coach, getting to the NBA Finals. Don't know if they're going to be the favorite. Or not, but uh, I would say with them having home court advantage the way that they're playing right now, their health situation, I would think that the winner of the bloodbath, which we're going to be speaking about, which I'm going to be speaking about in a few moments, mainly speaking about in the Eastern Conference between the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat, whoever survived that rock-fighting football rugby contest, is going to be the underdog to the Golden State Warriors. And the way the Warriors have been playing ever since the— conference semifinals against the Memphis Grizzlies, it just kind of kind of uh, reinforced what many people were saying earlier in the season, when Golden State jumped out to a sizable, not sizable, but jo- Golden State and Phoenix were clearly the two best teams in the NBA, and then injuries happened, Draymond went down and other things, and Golden State started to slip a little bit, but finding that, that, that mojo, finding that championship experience, finding uh, that second win. And the return of Clay, and not the Clay Thompson that we all knew and loved before those two catastrophic injuries, in terms of the ACL and the Achilles, but a Clay Thompson who can, from time to time, give you a vintage Clay Thompson performance, even if it's for a quarter, even if it's for a little stretch, and that's what he did in Game Five to propel the Warriors over the Dallas Mavericks for the uh, Western Western Conference Championship. Um, just a situation, man, where the best team won. And, and and if you go ahead and you take a look at the storylines going into the series between the Golden State Warriors and the Dallas Mavericks, if if you were going to be uh before all of this started, because now it kind of looks like it was clear that the Warriors were the better team than it played out on the basketball court. But if you were going into, if you kind of rewind, rewind the mind to the beginning of the series, and you were coming off. The performances of both Dallas and Golden State in their contest against Dallas beating Phoenix, the number one seed, the best team record-wise in the NBA. And then you saw what Golden State was doing against Memphis. This was the situation heading into this conference, Western Conference Finals, where you would say, hey, man, this is, I, I, I think that the Golden State Warriors are the better team. The Golden State Warriors with the championship experience should be the better team. But the way that they're playing right now, what, what team are we going to be looking at? Which team, if you're speaking about the Golden State Warriors, are for real when you're speaking about them being championship contenders going into the Western Conference Finals against the Dallas Mavericks? Are we going to be seeing the Golden State Warriors team that was closer to the team that survived a job ja Morant, missing game-winning layup in Game 1, where Golden State survived 117-116 before losing Game 2 and then were we going to be seeing the the Golden State Warriors that plays which at such a below standard for them after that game three one forty two one twelve blowout? And you were thinking to yourself, especially after the news came down that John Morant was going to be out for the rest of the uh, series because of a knee injury. Jordan Poole, no, it wasn't something where it was uh, planned. It wasn't uh, something that was uh, malicious. It was just an accident. Injuries happened, especially when you're speaking about John Morant who missed 20-plus games this season because of uh, various injuries. But after that 142-112 drubbing, in Game Three, it was almost a fatal plea that you were going to be thinking that the Warriors were just going to end this series in five games and do it in relatively easy fashion, despite the fact that Memphis going into the season was like twenty and three or something like that when John Barant didn't play. You would think that a team such as the Golden State Warriors, with their championship DNA, would take advantage of a situation like this and end the series and do it in uh, in in impressive facts in fashion, but yet. They didn't do that. If you take a look, if you remember those games in games four and in games five, the Warriors were pathetic. The Warriors were below, below average. They survived game four, and then they got blown out in game, uh, they survived game four, and they got blown out in game five, where at times they were down by 40-plus points. That was a situation where, you know, Steve Kerr wasn't there because he was dealing with COVID issues, so Mike Brown was in there, and there was a old, you know, the old substitute teacher is now running the class and kind of a uh, deal that I take offense to but me being a substitute teacher. But yet and still, it was, you know, when it cats away, the mice will, type of, will play type of deal with the type of intensity, with the type of focus, with the type of level of play that the Golden State Warriors showed in those two games, four and five, against the Memphis Grizzlies. And then when... Game six came around, the closing game. Yeah, Golden State closed that game, but they needed a six-five-six six-minute stretch in the fourth quarter to get it done. And up until then, on a consistent basis, they did not look like a team that would be where they are sitting right now. They did not look like a team in game six against the Memphis Grizzlies, the way they were struggling, especially from the field that you took a look at the greatest shooting backcourt of all time, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, up to the halfway point of the fourth quarter, the way they were struggling from the field, and the way Memphis was hanging around. It took a late burst from Steph Curry and such to finally put Memphis away. This was a situation where you were going to be taking a look, or you were going to to be coming away from that series and say, man, I I don't know. I mean, there were some real, real questions going into the series. And then, on the other hand, you took a look at what Dallas did, not just in Game 7 against the Phoenix Suns, even though that might have been the most, one of the most very high top two or three performances of a team in the playoffs this season. But if you take a look at what they did in Game 6, the fact that they were down 3-2 to a team that had the best record in the NBA, a team that before they went to Game 3, I believe, had a 70-20 and 20 record in the Phoenix Suns before all of this stuff went down. I mean, you were speaking about the... Dallas Mavericks all of a sudden now getting to mojo that was just going to be outstanding. And you saw not only what the Dallas Mavericks, who had one of the best records in the second half of the season in the NBA, coming into the playoffs strong, winning a Utah series, which didn't have Luka Doncic playing for the first two games against a team in Utah, which in essence, really, Dallas put the final stake and to what we see at the Utah Jazz right now, we don't know what's going to be happening with the tandem of Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. We don't know what's going to be happening with the future coaching uh, employment of Quinn Snyder in, in in Utah for the Jazz franchise. We don't know what Danny Ainge is going to be doing to reconstruct that team to make it in his own image. So, this was a situation where, man, any last gaps, gas effort for the Utah Jazz to do anything under the current regime that they have right now. Dallas obliterated that. Then you're speaking about going into the conference semifinals, the Western Conference semifinals against the Phoenix Suns and falling be, you know, falling down 2-0 in the series. And, oh, we found a weakness here because all we can do is just switch on defense, we could just put the uh, offensive guy on Luka, and we could take advantage of that mismatch, and now we found a way to uh, slow Luka down and that type of thing and kind of take the steam and take the effect of this out of the role players. And and, and, and that was a storyline heading into Game 3. And then Dallas got hot, and then Dallas started playing better, and then the Dallas role players started doing their thing, and then Luka took it to a nuclear. When you're speaking about level of greatness in and, and Game 7, they just completely just annihilated what the phoenix suns did and really put into question what's going to be going forward for a team that many people thought had a chance to be a, a mini dynasty in the phoenix suns many people thought going into this playoffs many people who follow the nba who know the nba who makes six figures and seven figures speaking about and writing about and learning about and following about the nba and doing it on television and such these guys were pronosticating that the Phoenix Suns were the best team in the NBA by far. And this was a situation in Game 7 that they were down 57-27 at the half, and Dallas was laughing at them. Luka was laughing, clowning them, emasculating them in every way, shape, and form, beating the shit out of them, and Phoenix was just sitting there taking it was Muhammad Ali versus Larry Holmes all over again, except that the Dallas Mavericks were Larry Holmes putting the beat down on the Phoenix Suns, Muhammad Ali, and just like Ali versus Holmes, the Phoenix Suns weren't fighting back; they were just just absorbing and taking this ass whooping like nobody's business. So you go into the Western Conference Finals, and you saw the you, you saw the trajectory, and you saw the the the, the, the level of play. That the Warriors and the Mavericks were at, and you would just say to yourself, "Well, wait a minute now, Dallas really does have a chance." If you're a prisoner of the moment, you can say that. Wait a minute, Dallas really does have a chance to uh, win this series. I mean, going into the Mavericks, uh, son, excuse me, the Mavericks-Warriors series, Western Conference Finals, would would Steph Curry consistently play and shoot similar to the player that he was? when he was the catalyst, when he was the man, when he was the two-time MVP, when he was a guy, when he was the foundation for winning championships? Was, is, that, is that Steph Curry at that level? Is he really gone? Or if he is going to be gone, I mean, can he get somewhere near that level on a consistent basis? Because he wasn't in the series against the Memphis Grizzlies. What's he going to be doing now against the Dallas Mavericks? Would Clay Thompson be consistent enough to be an impactful player? Would Jordan Poole provide the consistent level of play that he showed during the season to where the Warriors could trust him to be that guy that if Clay or Steph was going through shooting slumps, that Jordan Poole could be the guy that could be the catalyst for them to withstand those type of droughts, even if it's going to be for a short moment of time? Could Jordan Poole be that guy? Would Kevin Looney be a defensive liability in the series against the Mavericks in the in that sense, be a guy that would be unplayable. I mean, who else was for? I mean, with, with Draymond, the lack of shooting, the lack of offensive shooting. The, the, Draymond doesn't shoot. So basically, despite his offensive genius in terms of setting others up for easy baskets and good looks at the basket, the fact that he is not really looking to score and that sometimes it's a four-on-five advantage for the other team on the offensive side of the ball when the uh, Warriors have it, would that be something that Dallas could exploit? Could that be something where Steve Kerr would have to make the adjustment? And if they had to make the adjustment, were Draymond looking to shoot a little bit more because him not doing that would be hazardous for the chances of Golden State winning this series? Would that then in turn throw the rhythm and throw what Golden State wanted to do into peril? All of the things that were being, all, those things were being asked, those things were being talked about again, especially after Game Seven in the way that the Dallas Mavericks were playing in the way that they put it down on the, um, put it down on the Phoenix Suns. Luca was, it seemed like Luca was ready to enter the conversation of generational greats who could single handedly lead a team to a championship at the age of twenty three. At the age of twenty three. And let me tell you something. It has been proven that that wasn't the case. But if you were, when we were speaking about that, I mean, yes, people were speaking about that. Think about it. MJ at 23 wasn't in those discussions. LeBron at 23, which would be, what, fourth or fifth year in the league, the discussions about him being at that level were not the same with Luca. Kobe, Shaq, all of these great players throughout the history of the game, especially in the last 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, that stuff wasn't being brought up in terms of this guy at this age with this experience can lead a team to a championship. Luka was being talked about that way because of what he did in Game 7 against the Phoenix Suns. Was it the situation where the Golden State Warriors took Memphis too lightly? Was Memphis, was Memphis a better team than we all thought? even though they're not ready to be title contenders, all of those things, man, were being thrown out. All of those things were being talked about when you were speaking about the series going, uh, the Western Conference Finals between Dallas and Golden State. And it turned out, you know what, man? The better team won, and uh, experience matters. Golden State has it. Dallas doesn't, despite what Luka was doing over the last three games of the Western Conference semifinals against the... Phoenix Suns in the games against the Warriors in the conference finals. Yeah, he was putting up the numbers, but it was a, this was an interesting stat I heard. You know, when in, the, in the playoffs, when Lucas scores over 40 points, the eight times in the playoffs that he scored over 40 points, you know, when they put that number up, they're like, oh, man, Ole Wilt and MJ and da-da-da-da-da has had this type of statistical, uh, uh, you know, has this, had this type of stat when you're speaking about number of points scored and average points scored and this, that, and the other. So when they put that up there in terms of eight games of Luka scoring 40 points or more, do you know what the Dallas Mavericks record is when he scores 40 or more points in the playoffs? They're 2-6. and six. So it's a situation where, yeah, he's putting up points, but Luka being the generational great, Luka's the guy that can kind of mold his game after LeBron in terms of the totality, the offensive totality of what he can bring in terms of scoring and assist, hockey assist, setting up others. So Luka going for 40 with five assists and eight rebounds, no, that's not not the recipe for success against a team at the level of the Golden State Warriors. Now, 38, 15, and 12? I mean, that's ridiculous to think that, Luka, we need this from you on a consistent basis, but when you're playing a team that was grooving and moving like the Golden State Warriors and had their mojo back, got their groove back, and know they didn't go down to the Bahamas and, you know, hook up with Stella. This was a situation where Luca needed to be this at this level, needed to be at that level. And he wasn't. Championship pedigree matters. It matters. And just think about it, man. It would have been absurd to even think something different. Lord knows that. How many times in the history of the game have we seen a team, especially in the last, ever since I've been watching the NBA in earnest, when you're speaking about the Lakers, watch Washington, then Bullets, when the 1977-78 NBA championship, Bullets fever, we got past the Iceman, but for both of those, both of us who are listening to this podcast and Remember the NBA, I mean, this is a situation where, man, you have to kind of go through some things to where you get to where you need to be. Now, Magic broke the glass ceiling in terms of, you know, he didn't need four or five years to learn and grow and that type of thing. But guess what? He had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on his team, so that kind of helped things. Larry Bird was another guy who kind of spit in the face of that notion saying you have to take steps to win a championship when in his second year, He won a championship with the Boston Celtics. But if you take a look, even with the greatest players who've ever played, the greatest players who've ever played over the last 10, 15, 20 years, it's a process in winning an NBA championship. You have to go through the turmoil. You have to go through the losing. You have to go through the peaks and the valleys. It's all an education. It's a situation where, man, when you start your journey, To becoming a championship team, whatever championship team that is, whatever dynasty that's going to be produced, whatever dynasty that's going to be born and and, and grown and nurtured. You have to go through losing. You have to go through tough times. You have to go through quote unquote choking. You have to go through giving games away. All of those things add on to your learning. So when you get to the mountaintop, you have the knowledge, you have the experience. You have the scars of staying there and knowing what it takes to get there and stay there. Michael Jordan took seven years to win himself an NBA championship. And guess what? It wasn't just a matter of, well, he had a sorry team around. No, Michael Jordan in his second or third or fourth year did not have the experience to win himself a championship, regardless of who was on the team, unless he had a Hall of Fame all-time great player like Magic did when he had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Michael Jordan was not experienced enough to be the guy, to be the face, to be the main man, to be the foundation, to be the franchise player, to lead the Chicago Bulls at that time to a championship. He had to learn. He had to go through Boston in in, in the beatdowns and the experience that the Boston Celtics gave uh, Bird McHale um, Parrish dj age he had to go through those series he had to go through the bad boys and the detroit pistons he had to go through the scars he had to go through uh getting beat up he had to go through the physicality to learn that you know what i need to get my body in better shape so he went to got he got uh tim grover and and, and made a and made a career for him he had to go through all those things he had to go through uh game seven with the detroit pistons and scotty Pippen getting a migraine and and, and the uh, organization having to fire Doug Collins and bringing Phil Jackson and change the offensive philosophy to where Jordan did everything to all of a sudden put in a triangle offense. All of these things took time before at the age of 28 in his seventh year that Jordan finally won a championship. And when he won that first championship, he never stopped. But, but that's what it is for most of the great players. Shaquille O'Neal had to go through this. Kobe Bryant, because of Shaquille O'Neal, Really didn't have to go through this as long as many, but then after Shaquille O'Neal left, he had to go through a few years of learning and getting beat up before. He learned what it took to be the main guy on a team that was ready to win a championship. Despite winning three championships with Shaquille O'Neal, when Shaquille got traded to Miami, Kobe wasn't ready to be that guy to lead a championship, to be the guy that would uh, be the focal point to uh, lead a team to a championship, this was going to be the first time he was going to be in that position. And it took some growth, and it took some maturity, and it took some losses, and it took some humbling for him to finally get there. So all of this is to say that, you know what, hey, man, Luca, as great as he is, as generationally great as he is already, man, he can't go from, in his fourth year, from a guy who— got beaten the first two rounds of the, of the uh, playoffs to all of a sudden winning himself a championship or getting himself into the NBA championship. That stuff doesn't happen. That stuff doesn't happen. When LeBron led his team to his first NBA finals and got swept by the more experienced uh, San Antonio Spurs, LeBron wasn't ready. LeBron wasn't even ready his first year when he was with the Miami Heat. And we saw that play out. So he had to go through that. He had to go through losing with Boston. He had to go through uh, losing to Miami and blowing a 2-0 lead. We had to, uh, excuse me, with uh, Dallas. He had to go through those type of things. He got schooled on uh, what it took to be a champion by Dirk Nowitzki in that situation, in those NBA finals. That's what those guys have to go through. So Luka, this is just part of the... This is just part of the uh, indoctrination, man. This is just part of the journey. This is just part of the education. I mean, it's, it's almost like a schooling, man. When you start off in first grade, you don't go from first grade to fifth grade to seventh grade to 11th grade and then you graduate. You don't do that kind of stuff. You don't start school at six years old and then by the age of eight, you're already in middle school. And by the age of 12, you're already a junior in high school. And then by the age of 13, you graduate and you're ready to go on to college. No. You have to learn, you have to grow, you have to mature, you have to do all of those type of things. It's no different in the NBA. It's no different with teams, it's no different with budding dynasties. The Golden State Warriors had to do that. The Golden State Warriors had to go through pains and strife and the coaching change from Mark Jackson to um, Steve Kerr to get to where they needed to be. Clay Thompson, or excuse me, Stephen Curry, had to go through the situation where he had ankle problems and it came down to a possibility where it was going to be between him and, oh, my goodness gracious, the the the, the man's face. I can see it, but the name, I Monte Ellis. It be, came down between him and Monte Ellis, who was going to be traded to the Milwaukee Bucks for Andrew Bogut. And there was a situation where it was for real that, hey, man, you know, we're trading Monte Ellis. We either have to trade Monte Ellis or Steph Curry. That's a real conversation. And back then, it it made sense. Now, it would be ludicrous. Not talking about the singer, but the decision. It would have been ludicrous. It would have been ridiculous to even now think about something like that. Back then, that was a real possibility because the only thing Steph was known for back then was shooting and having ankle injury, which made him miss a lot of time. So all of those things, all of those scars, all of those battles, all of those situations, it just adds to all of these things. And Luca. He ain't there yet, man. He still doesn't have anybody that he can run with. He still has to find somebody to go ahead that he can run with, that he can grow with, to get to the point to where he can start winning championships, man. I mean, Jordan didn't do anything till Pippen, right? And he had to wait for Pippen to go through all this, the strains and strife, along with Horace Grant and stuff, correct? I mean, you know, Tim Duncan had a little lull there. Why? Because he had to wait for Tony Parker and Monty Ginobili to grow into the champions that they became before they started winning championships again. I mean, this is a situation like that. So, Luca, as great as he is, yeah, man, for the Dallas Mavericks fans to truly get to where they want to be in terms of being perennial contenders for a conference and NBA championships, that's what they need, man. They need one more guy because I don't care. You take a look in the NBA, you take a look at the histories over the last 10, 15, 20 years, man. It's been Dirk Nowitzki and it's been Chauncey Billups or whoever for the Detroit Pistons in terms of you need to have dual superstars for you to win championships. And right now, you've got Luka, generational great, so you don't need another MVP type of guy, but you need an all-star. You need somebody who can really help him out. And as much as Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock and and, – you know, Maxi Kleba and Jalen Brunson, and those guys are really nice players. Those guys would be really great. And if you could get a all-star to join Luka, I mean a perennial top 15, 18 type player to join Luka, those guys would be phenomenal. Then you would be talking about Dallas being for real in terms of being a team that over the next five or six or seven years could win NBA championships and compete for NBA championships each one of those years with Luka doing the thing as he continues to grow and get better and learn how to play defense and stop yell and stop uh, having his conversations with the ref and every time he misses a shot or every time he feels that he got fouled and he didn't get fouled, he, he does one of these numbers where he puts his hands over his head and that type of thing. Once he learns that, and the man's 23 years old, He'll get it by the time he's 24, 27, 28, 30. So, yeah, man, it's just a matter of uh, Dallas not being there yet. Golden State, Draymond, Clay, Steph, great mixture of championship pedigree, along with the young cats coming in, getting contributions from everyone. A championship-caliber coach is Steve Kerr, who I think uh, we underrate sometimes because of the talent that he has around him, especially – when he was uh, when he had Kevin Durant in that mega squad of a team, so yeah, man, all of that is conducive to what the Golden State Warriors did. And congratulate, congratulations to them for winning the Western Conference and being the Western Conference NBA champions. Wendell, World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, now moving to the rock fight, which is the um, Miami Heat and the. Miami, Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. Because someone just please end this. Someone, God, please end this in Game Six. Please end this in Game Six. Please forgive. I I, I just can't take any more of this. I can't take any more of this 1990 something Detroit versus Indiana style basketball anymore. I just I just can't. And it's not about yet. Yeah, the defense has been great. When you're speaking about two defensive teams, the Celtics and the Heat, one of the best teams statistically defensive-wise, in the NBA this season. Great, wonderful. These games have been atrocious. These games have been awful, especially from the Miami Heat standpoint. Now, there's a reason for that. When you're speaking about Jimmy Butler being injured, Tyler Hero missing games because of a groin injury, Kyle Lowry missing games because of a hamstring injury. The thing with the Miami Heat is, as I mentioned before, they are the most professional, organized, disciplined team in the NBA as far as their effort in terms of what they do, they maximize the most out of their players players, which in turn maximizes the most out of their team out of their team. And the situation with the Miami Heat is I don't give a damn if it's the opening game of the season. I don't care if it's game thirty two. I don't care if it's game forty six in February in Indiana with the half of the arena being empty. I don't care if it's the seventh game of the Eastern Conference Finals or an important game in the NBA Finals. There's really, on on, on, on most instances, there is no drop-off in terms of the level of consistency and effort going into the play for the Miami Heat. They're going to give you that type of effort. They're going to give you that type of discipline. They're going to give you that type of mentality every single game that they play, every single game that counts, every single game where they get a paycheck. They are going to play at the optimum of effort. The only problem with that is, is that through 82 games, that's almost humanly impossible. You just can't, you can't do that and win an NBA championship. I don't care what your team makeup is. I don't care. You can't play 82 games like it's game seven of the NBA, uh, of the NBA finals. You just can't. You can't do it. You know, there's a reason why, you know, you have superstars and you have coaches and, and organizations making the now commonplace Effort to rest players, rest management, load management—you got to do it. You got to do it. First of all, these guys are making too much money to be having a five-year, six-year investment in the player only be worth three, two, or three years because you you grind them into the in, in, into the floor with the amount of minutes that they play and such. See Tom Thibodeau with Derrick Rose, but um, this is a situation where, hey man, you know. It, I mean, it's almost inevitable if you're the Miami Heat and you're going to be playing at this level for close to 100 games in about a six or seven or eight-month stretch, obviously you're going to come down with some injuries. And that's what's happened with Tyler Hero. Now, there's been situations this season where high, uh, Bam on the volume missed games because of injury. Jimmy Butler missed games because of injury. Tyler Hero missed games because of injury. um uh, uh, no. Kyle Lowry missed games because of injury. Okay, but still, the effort that they give, man, it, it doesn't matter. Even if they're injured, they're going to still go out there and not coast. So it's a situation where the Miami Heat are just breaking down. And we've always already talked about if you don't have a superstar, if you don't have a Jokic, if you don't have a Giannis, if you don't have an Embiid, if you don't have a Luka, if you don't have one of those type of players on your squad, and you're mainly going by guts and hearts and coaching and that type of thing, when you go up against a team that has someone like a Jason Tatum, how well are you going to be doing? Now, uh, offensively, you know it's a situation where um, Jason Tatum has had his ups and downs in these in this series against Boston. I'm still looking for Tatum to have that uh, a legendary is too strong of a word, but I'm looking for Tatum to have that that that, that imprint that this guy's the fucking man. I w- I'm looking for him to have another Game 6 against Milwaukee. That's what I'm looking for Jason Tatum to have. I'm looking for him to have another one. It would be nice if he had it tonight in Game 6 at home and t- to put away, to put the final nail in the coffin for the Miami Heat season. But um, it's been a, something where, you know, um, with Miami, huge disappointment with Bam out of Bayou. I mean, this was a guy, if you took a look at a couple of years ago, I mean, this was a guy who, in the bubble, he was probably one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, along with Jimmy Butler, of why, on a consistent basis, his play, why the Miami Heat made it to the NBA Finals, where they lost in six games to the Los Angeles Lakers. And you're speaking about Bam out Bayou, i I thought this was a guy who would be able to, kind of pick up some of the loose pieces and pick up some of the responsibilities that were going to be left on the table by Hero and Lowry and Butler because of injury. I thought that Bam Adebayo would be that guy who would perform more like he did in Game 3 and not in the other games of the season. I thought that he would be able to empower in- and enforce his will to uh, take advantage of what should be a mismatch against Al Horford. When you take a look at the Uh, two players and you take a look at their abilities but Bam Adebayo is just not that guy and I think in a situation like this it becomes really clear that Bam Adebayo is not going to be that guy this is not a situation where he's still struggling to get over from COVID I mean he doesn't have any injuries that were that were made aware of I mean this was a situation where it's okay it was kind of plain to see that Bam Adebayo is not going to be that guy that could be the cornerstone. That can be the foundation, even in small dosage, of leading their team to higher heights. He needs a superstar. He needs a Jimmy Butler on the team, and, and that's not happening. Jimmy Butler, you could t- I mean, just the way that he's playing. He's hobbling. He's struggling. He doesn't need to say it. We can all see it. When the th- he needs a the, need the basket and he's not taking over any way, shape, or form, I mean, there's a problem and you're relying on Max Struess and you're re- re- uh, relying on Duncan Robinson and you're relying on these other guys to uh, pick up the scoring load for him. it's not going to happen. I don't care how hard you try. I don't care what the uh, offensive philosophy is with the Miami Heat. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter how well you play your role if you're a secondary player for the Miami Heat, that's not going to work against a team that has Jalen Brown, that has Jason Tatum playing at the level that he's playing at a consistent basis throughout the playoffs, and Al Horford from the intangible and defensive side of the uh, defensive side of things. When you have Grant Hill, a uh, Grant Williams making the contributions that he's making, when you have the defensive presence of a Robert Williams and what he's done to uh, fluster and beguile and um, you know I'm, I'm really bewilder, bewilder. Um, Bam on the Bayou with the help of Al Horford, just too much talent for the Celtics, for the Miami Heat to overcome when you're speaking about the talents of the Baltic Celtics. And unless the Celtics come out lackadaisical, which I wouldn't think they would, because the Miami Heat is a wounded animal. And we know what they say about wounded animals being very, very dangerous. If you don't, that's your problem. And uh, it's a situation where as long as they take care of the basketball, I mean, I I can't see any of the Miami role players. They can't get anything done at home. I don't know why that's going to be changing once they go to a hostile environment like the uh, TD Waterhouse in in, in Boston for game six. So we're going to have ourselves a final, hopefully, of Golden State and the Celtics. And I think that from a aesthetic standpoint, it's going to be much better. I think from a star standpoint, I think it's going to be fantastic when you have uh, Steph, who is one of the most popular players in the NBA, has been for a while. And the resurgence, the storylines that can come from the Golden State Warriors from 15 wins a couple of seasons ago now to being on the precipice of winning an NBA championship. We can talk about the redemption story of Clay Thompson, two devastating injuries to where he is now. We can speak about Steve Kerr and give him another platform to, if he want to speak about social issues, I would very much enjoy Steve Kerr giving us his thoughts and feelings about that in between games of the NBA playoffs. We can have those storylines for the Warriors. And for Boston, when you're speaking about one of the historic teams in the NBA, we can talk about the situation where, This is the opportunity for Jason Tatum to really establish himself going into next season's and season's going forward as one of the marquee top guy franchise guy faces of not just the Boston Celtics but also for the NBA does he now have what it takes to possibly become a crossover superstar and really when you think about it with all of the attention that's been given over the past couple of seasons to guys like Giannis and Cooper, and also the uh MVP two-time MVP winner Nikola Jokic and you speak about the rise of Luka Dantage and you're speaking about the devastating destruction, the most dominant player in the NBA and Joel beat this season. When you speak about all of these guys, what's the one thing that's not in the storyline when you speak about Giannis and Jokic and Luka and Joel? They ain't American. In fact, Luka, I'm quite sure right now is probably getting stuff ready to go back to uh, Serbia or Lithuania or wherever. Uh, where's, where's Luka from? me <sighs> right now. But, you know, right now, Nikola Jokic is in Serbia. I'm quite sure right now, Giannis is back in Greece. I mean, these guys don't even, when, when, when the season's over for them, they gone. They ain't, they ain't about this America stuff. They gone. They're going back to their countries. So the NBA, I mean, you're speaking about hot dogs, apple pie and Chevrolet, baseball, hot dogs, apple pie and Chevrolet, No man, when you're speaking about an American sport, when you're speaking about football and you're speaking about the, uh, and you're speaking about basketball, you're speaking about the NBA. And when you speak about the totality of how popular the game of basketball is around the world, and you know that the, this country produces the best. This country is known for its basketball players. Football is huge. The NFL is big and huge and popular here in the United States, but if you filter it out for the rest of the world and you bring it over to these other other countries, yeah, some people might like it, but it's short-range football. When you're speaking about Germany, when you're speaking about some of the other eastern uh, countries in this world, when you're speaking about the um, countries in South America and in the other parts of the globe, Man, the NFL, while it's popular, it doesn't hold a candle to uh, to football. And guess what? It doesn't hold a candle to basketball. So now the reason why I st- say this is because basketball worldwide is so popular. And here in this country, the black athlete is what symbolizes the excellence of basketball. And it's been that way for decades and even more than a century. It's just speaking about uh, the NBA. Now you have an onslaught of uh, European fellas and, Af- and fellas from Africa coming over and establishing their stake, or in, at, at, at the best players in the NBA, which I find fantastic. I love the fact that Giannis and Luca and Embiid and Jokic are, you know, are great players, are some of the best players, if not the best players, in the NBA, and they're from other countries, man. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Kind of you know, kick the butt of the coaches and the AAU coaches and the system here in America to see what we can do to uh, kind of uh, make sure that this is not going to be a consistent basis. But all of this ties back to if the Boston Celtics with Jason Tatum under 25 years old can go ahead and win himself a championship after beating Kevin Durant in the first round of the NBA playoffs, after beating the best player on the planet, Giannis Antetokounmpo, in the second round, the semifinals of the Eastern Conference, after beating the toughest, grittiest team in the NBA, Miami Heat, in the Eastern Conference finals, and then beating a dynasty still in progress with the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry in the NBA finals without having home court advantage. If the Boston Celtics win the NBA championship with Jason Tatum being the guy, that went ahead and got it done for them, now all of a sudden you can shoehorn Jason Tatum, not just for next season, but for the seasons after where you have Luka and you have Jokic, still relatively young, doing their thing. Well, we could now have an American in there that can say, wait a minute, before you start handing out more MVPs to folks from Africa and Greece and Serbia and other European countries, We still got this guy named jason tatum from st louis missouri who's a damn good player and he's a more american born and bred so yeah man i am i am interested for this um i am interested in this um uh, nba finals to start it's going to be fantastic can't wait celtics hopefully against the golden state warriors man it is time to get it on Thank you Segment of the podcast. Final segment of the program. Welcome back to Wendell's World of Sports. Wendell Wallace. with you. So doggone, glad that you could be with us. Again, thank you so much for listening to this program. Remember, download, review, rate, subscribe, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast. If you can, and if you're watching this on the on my YouTube channel. If you could subscribe, I would very much appreciate it. If you really like this video, if you could like it, if you're so inclined to give a comment, man, more power to you. I would very much appreciate it. So thank you so much for that. As we head down to the final stretch, I just want to uh, make a make a comment about Colin Kaepernick working out for the Las Vegas Raiders the other day. He said that uh, sources say that the workout was... Positive, but there is no deal imminent. Um, the arm strength and conditioning is what stood out with his workout with the Las Vegas Raiders. I want to thank the. I want to thank Mark Davis. I want to thank Josh McDaniels, and I want to thank others in charge who are giving uh, Kaepernick this opportunity. I'm not expecting anything in terms of because of what he's been through, everything that's what, he's, what has been Kaepernick in the past, from the kneeling till now, exercising his First Amendment right, becoming in some ways a little bit of a Jackie Robinson, Kurt Flood type of, situ, uh, type of a person for some in this generation. I, I don't expect that to play any type of role in him making the team. I'm, I'm just hoping, and I'm going to go on the assumption that the workout that Kaepernick gave for the Raiders was sincere in terms of uh, evaluating if this is somebody who we can have on our roster. Derek Carr is the starting quarterback, new contract and everything, so this is going to be his team. But, um, you know, moving forward, the Raiders only have Jarrett Stenum and Nick Mullins on their squad. Now, Kaepernick had them played in a little while, so before we started making the point of, well, we already know that he's better than Stenum and Mullins. The last time that Kaepernick played about four or five years ago, that would have been the absolute. But after, you know, this time off, him being 34 years old, last playing in the NFL and since 2016, I don't know. I don't know, and I don't have the experience to go ahead and evaluate quarterbacks like that. I wasn't there for the interviews. I had not been privy to any of the information given in terms of if you're Colin Kaepernick, if you're the Las Vegas Raiders, if this truly is a fit. Now you would think with uh, the situation given to Kaepernick that any team looking to reach out, which has only been one so far in earnest, which has been the Las Vegas Raiders, the Seattle Seahawks were talking about it, but they thought that going with Drew Locke and Geno Smith and uh, some other Yahoo would be a better idea uh, uh, despite bringing in Kaepernick to see what he has. But um you would think that in a situation like this that you know Kaepernick is going to be a guy that's going to say hey look man you know what if I have to be a uh, backup quarterback I have to be a backup quarterback I don't mind I can be a positive presence in the locker room and if he does accept that role in terms of being a backup quarterback I think that Kaepernick just by what he has been through just by the experiences I think that he would be a positive influence in that locker room to some of these young cats you don't think that maybe a situation would have been a little bit different if Kaepernick was in that locker room with some of the first-round picks that the Las Vegas Raiders has made over the past couple of years when you have one driving in a car and killing somebody because this fucking idiot was going 160 miles down the road in a residential area. When you're speaking about a couple of the other instances that have been happening as far as players are concerned with the Las Vegas Raiders, you don't think having a guy with the experience of Colin Kaepernick and if he's willing to offer some of his jewels, his gems, his knowledge to some of these young cats that are coming into the league, that are coming into that locker room. You don't think that that would be a plus? You don't think that would be, be a bonus for not just the Las Vegas Raiders locker room, but also for other locker rooms in, this, uh, in the NFL? I, I think that that would be a uh, much greater thing than a couple of jackasses and a couple of yahoos or a couple of sponsors saying that if you're going to be hiring or if you're going to be employing a quarterback that kneels because he hates his country or he hates the flag or he hates the military or he hates the police or if you're you're still going to be dealing with that stupidity, if you're still going to be dealing with that ignorance, you know what? I don't even want you associated with our team anyway. Take your season tickets and shove it up your ass. Take all of our merchandise and burn it if you want to and act like a fucking idiot. Go ahead and then, you know, don't renew your business as one of our sponsors that's fine if that's going to be your thoughts and feelings about what Colin Kaepernick is still about then you're too fucking stupid for us to deal with anyway so get the fuck out of here that should be what that should be the thoughts and feelings of these NFL franchises now if he can't play if you don't find that he's conducive to help your team in any way shape or form that's one thing if you go out there you see him play and you're like yeah you know what we're good with the quarterbacks we got because from a playing standpoint we feel that our quarterback room is going to be better without Colin Kaepernick that's fine right? no problem with that I you know, that, that's cool but if you're still hanging on to the idiots that uh, voted for the last fucking moron who was in our who uh, who was president in name only that antichrist if you're still on the same page as him when it comes to Colin Kaepernick then you know, you're just too fucking stupid to breathe and live anyway. Wendell's World of Sports. Have I made myself clear? Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your hell's host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So good luck to Colin Kaepernick uh, in that regard. Now, I want to end with college football. High profile, highly paid SEC coaches going at each other. Woo! Last uh, Wednesday, speaking at a 50-day countdown event in Birmingham, Alabama, for the World Games. As you might know, Nick Saban gave his thoughts and opinions on the ways, name, image, and likeness that NIL has impacted the game. So it was just your standard. I mean, this is what's going on. This is what's happening, blah, blah, blah. When things got really interesting and became newsworthy is is when he mentioned Texas A&M and Jackson State and talking about the negative impact that NIL has had on college football in that regard. Here's some of the comments of what Saban said about NIL and how Texas A&M are using it for gaining an unfair advantage. This is what uh, this is what Nick Saban had to say.
2: Well, you know, name, image, and likeness to me is a great concept for players. Uh, players have always been allowed to work. Uh, this is just a different opportunity for them to make money by working and using their own name, image, and likeness, whether it's signing autographs, whether it's doing commercials or ads for some company or whatever. So. There's nothing wrong with that, and I told our players when this whole thing started to get agents, get representation, um, and so you create opportunities for yourself. And our players last year created $3 million worth of opportunity for themselves by doing it the right way, and I have no problem with that, and nobody had a problem on our team with that because the guys that got the money earned it. Now, there were only 25 guys on our team that had the opportunity to earn money. The issue and the problem with name, image, and likeness is coaches trying to create an advantage for themselves, I right, went out and said, okay, how could we use this to our advantage? They created what's called a collective, right? A collective is an outside marketing agency uh, that's not tied to the university, that's funded by alumni from the university. And they give this collective millions of dollars, and that marketing agency, then funnels it to the players. Right? And the coach actually pr- knows how much money's in the collective, so he knows how much he can promise every player. That's not what name, image, and likeness was supposed to be. That's what it's become, and that's the problem in college athletics right now. And now every player is saying, Well, what am I going to get? Well, my philosophy is my job is to create a platform for our players to create value for themselves and their future by becoming better people, uh, by graduating from school and developing a career off the field, and by seeing if they can develop a career on the field and play at the next level in the NFL. But now in recruiting, we have players in our state that grew up wanting to come to Alabama that they won't commit to us unless we say we're going to give them what somebody else is going to give them. Non-revenue sports that, should, that have for years and years and years been able to create a better life for themselves because they've been able to get scholarships and participate in college athletics. That's what college athletics is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be something where people come and make money. And you make a decision about where you go to school based on how much money you're going to make. You should make a decision based on where you have the best chance to develop as a person, as a student, and as a player, which is what we've always tried to major in and we're going to continue to do that. and Hopefully there's enough people out there that want to do it, but I know the consequence is going to be difficult for the people who are spending tons of money to get players. And You've read about them. You know who they are. I mean we were second in recruiting last year. a and was first. and bought every player on their team. Made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right? We didn't buy one player. All right? But I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it,
1: so he said the NIL is great, great concept for players. He mentioned that Alabama football players created three million dollars worth of opportunity for themselves, that little recruiting pitch out there for themselves by doing it the right way in the past year. He also said that I have no problem. He said he had no problem with with NIL, and nobody had a problem on our team with NIL and players making a bunch a boatload of money because that's the money that they earn and there were only 25 guys on his team that had an opportunity to earn money so yes i don't i, I don't think that the red shirt backup uh quarterback who the freshman is jealous of Bryce Young or is going to cause some type of destruction or cancer in the locker room because he's upset because Bryce Young is making a boatload of money from NIL while he's not making anything, or the third-string center or defensive tackle is going to be upset because a couple of the players on that team who are going to be first-round NFL draft picks and top five, top six NFL draft picks in a year or two are going to be making money and he isn't. I don't think those players are, well, even if they are, who gives a fuck? They're, not, they're inconsequential in the totality of things when it comes to the Alabama football program. So, yeah, when Nick Saban was talking about, hey, man, no one has a problem, no one is jealous, if they are, well, then who gives a crap because probably those are the people who are making the type of money and or making any money from NIL, and the reason is easy. They're not in a position to do that, be angry at the coach, not the player. So Saban said he has a problem with NIL when college programs use it as an advantage in recruiting to bring in the best players that's where it's kind of like wait a minute wait a minute the nil wasn't designed for that purpose you're not supposed to be using nil in terms of hey look man you know what if you come here we will give you this amount of money so he said that the schools athletic programs colleges they're creating something called a collective. Did you hear that in the uh, in the audio? He said that the collective is when they have an outstanding marketing an outside marketing agency financially funded by the alumni of the university not connected in any way shape or form with the university or the college to give money to prospective prospects to better the chances of them playing sports for that university aha that's where it's kind of like wait a minute man you come to our school you produce on the football field or the basketball court or the baseball diamond or in the uh, gymnastic field or the tennis court or the softball field wherever and then because of that you can go ahead and use that to market yourself then that's where other folks are going to be coming in to say hey you know what If you want to go ahead and sign this deal, if you want to go ahead and make this commercial, if you want to go ahead and uh, sign these autographs at this restaurant or at this car dealership or at this other place of business, that's where all of that stuff comes in. It's not about you come here and then boom, right off the bat, we'll go ahead and hook you up with a couple of cars and uh, and, and six figures. So what Coach Saban is iterating is that Texas A&M, that's exactly what they're doing. So when he made the comment that Texas A&M has been buying all of their players, that's what he's assuming. That's what he's going, that's that's what he's wanting to throw out to uh, you and I who are listening to this. At Alabama, according to Nick Saban, we do it the right way. We tell them that, yes, there are some financial opportunities for you to uh, take advantage of if you perform on the football field, if you are... Uh, given those type of opportunities once you get to Alabama. But we're not going to do the recruiting of, if you come to Alabama, here's $400,000, here's $600,000, here's this business, which is going to be giving you this amount of money to go ahead and come to this school here. Now, that's, according to Nick Saban, that's not going to be happening. It's happening in Texas A&M. According to Nick Saban, it's happening in Jackson State. According to Nick Saban, it's happening to colleges in every other place, but, but not here. And he's saying that if this is going to be the way of the future in terms of we'll just go ahead and we'll just buy players and players will just go to the coach or they'll just go to the school or university that offers them the most amount of money, then all of a sudden it's going to destroy college football. It's going to destroy uh, sports in general, um, uh, college sports in general. That situations where you know we're gonna be doing that for football and basketball, the two money revenue generated sports or the two biggest sports that generate the most amount of revenue, then there's gonna be a situation where, if that's gonna be the case, soccer, golf, tennis, uh, lacrosse, wrestling, softball, gymnastics, all of these other programs, all of these other sports that are being offered, that are scholarship scholarship offered by the Power 5 schools, uh, those are going to be going by the wayside because of the money that's going to be, you know, passing hands and that type of things, according to Nick Saban. And he knows a lot more about this than I do. So that's what he's going to be, that's what he's talking about. He said that the essence of what a student athlete should be, is using the opportunity to play sports at that college or at that university to become a better person, creating opportunities for reaching your potential after college. Student athletes are not supposed to be going to college based on who's going to pay them the most, a.k.a. being bought. That's that's Saban's deal. That's Saban's situation, right? Well, all of this stuff came down, and Jimbo Fisher heard about this, especially he heard about, specifically he heard about Texas A&M buying all of their players. Now, Texas A&M had a historic recruiting class, one of the greatest ever since they started taking evaluation of uh, recruiting classes. The number one recruiting class in the nation was Texas A&M in a situation where normally Alabama year after year after year after year is number one as far as recruiting classes are concerned. This season, Alabama was number two behind Texas A&M, who was number one. Now, maybe Saban could have maybe lived with a situation where if uh, Ohio State or an Oklahoma, maybe an LSU coming off their national championship of Georgia with Kirby Smart, maybe a Clemson, maybe these teams that have traditionally been champions have won national championships, have beaten Saban. Maybe it would be a situation where Sabin could have swallowed this a little bit better, could have stomached this a little bit better. When it comes from Texas A&M, when he got beat out by Texas A&M, yes, Texas A&M spends a boatload of money into their football program. Their facilities are second-to-none, world-class, some of the best around. But the last time I checked, Texas A&M has not won themselves a national championship. Last time I checked, te- Texas A&M has not won themselves an SEC championship. Last time I checked, that Texas A&M has not been at the same level on a consistent basis over a five to ten year Nick Saban being the Alabama type of uh, range of success that Alabama with Nick Saban has had. So maybe Nick Saban got a little bit cranky. Maybe Nick Saban got a little bit salty. Maybe Nick Saban got a little bit ornery. Maybe Nick Saban got a little bit jealous when he found that, uh, wait a minute, Walter Nolan and all these other guys who we were recruiting hard, they didn't excuse us to go to a Clemson or to go to a Penn State or go to a Oklahoma or go to a Texas or go to a Florida State or go to a Georgia or go to one of those top tier schools. They turned us down to go to Texas fucking A&M. Oh, bullshit. There must be something, you know, shady about these deals. So that's what Saban was implying. So, so Jimbo Fisher heard about all this and Jimbo went off.
3: First of all, I'll say it's a shame that we have to do this. It's really despicable. It's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody and an organ. More importantly, 17 year old kids. You're taking shots at 17 year old kids and their families that they broke state laws, that they're they're, they're all money. We bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody. No rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. It was all in the, the way we do things, the ethics in which we do things. And these families, it's despicable. That a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way the narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen and it's ridiculous but when when he's not on top and the parody in college football he's been talking about go talk to coaches who coach for him you'll find out all the parody go dig into wherever he's been you can find out anything and it's a shame that you got to sit here and defend 17 year old kids and families in texas a and m because we do things right we're always going to do things right but we're, not, we're always going to be here we're doing a heck of a job these coaches have done a great job our players have done a great job, the whole organization of recruiting people. It's despicable that we got to sit there at this level of ball and, and say these things to defend the people of this organization, the kids, 17-year-old kids and their families. It's amazing. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy that a lot of things you don't want to know. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out, what he does and how he does it.
1: So you heard what that man said, right? Called Saban Despicable, a narcissist for making those statements. And he only did it because he didn't get his way. Claimed that if you ask people who work for him, you'll be surprised of how he does things. And he's speaking about parody in college football Saban. And he's up there, you know, doing dirty. And I know because I work for the man. And I'm not the only one. Go ahead and talk to Kirby Smart. Go ahead and talk to some of these other guys who work for him. Go ahead and talk to them. Give them some truth serum. They'll tell you. They'll tell you. So Jimbo is insinuating that Saban is far from being above board and doing things the right way. So a little bit later, Saban apologizing that he shouldn't have singled out any other uh, any teams or coaches. What he said about Jackson State, he said that uh, Jackson State paid a guy one million last year, who was a really good Division One player to come to their school. It was a. It was in the paper, and they bragged about it. No one did anything about it. He was talking about guys at Miami that are going to play basketball there for $400,000. It's in the newspaper. I, I, don't, I don't know that. Who, re- who reads newspapers anymore? Do re- newspapers even exist? So, saving I later apologize to that neither. Greg Stinky, the SEC commissioner, is going to have his work cut out for him when they have the uh, annual meetings, right? He's going to have to get those two in a room together and be like, look, man, I don't care if you motherfuckers talk to each other. I don't care if y'all like each other. Y'all don't have to like each other. But damn, man, keep this bullshit in-house. Be cordial when the cameras are on. You know, no mudslinging. No speaking about players being bought. No talking about you're insinuating this this program is cheating or none of that kind of stuff. I'm not asking you guys to be friends. I'm not asking you guys to go out to dinner. I'm not asking you guys to hang around each other. I'm not asking you guys to go on celebrity golf courses. I'm not asking you guys to do any of that stuff. Just be civil when the cameras are on. All right? You've got this bullshit right here, which is going on. Then y'all play each other uh, in, in October. Other than that, you don't have to be around each other. So please, please. Please, like I'm James Brown, please just be civil with each other. That's all I'm asking you to do. So Sankey's going have to have have his work cut out for him in that regard. But, you know, you're speaking about the, the good and bad of the NIL and the new era of college athletics and the really the uh, new age of college athletes being in power. You know, speaking about you can make money off your name and image. You can hire – Agents have representation while in college without jeopardizing your college eligibility. You can transfer without sitting out a year or having your former coach or the coach or the team or the school that you transferred from having to approve where you can transfer to. There was instances a little while ago where a player in the Big Ten wanted to transfer from one Big Ten school to another Big Ten school and that coach was like, no, I'm not going to uh, give you the transfer. You can't do that and all those type of things. It's nice to see players now having more power for where they want to go and what they want to do. And in some instances, coaches don't just don't like that. When you're speaking about coaches who are, you know, the age of Nick Saban or somewhere around that age, I mean, they're only a generation past uh, guys like Bear Bryant and uh, Woody Hayes and Bo Beckler and these type of clowns who fucking sit there and talk about, you know, real men are men and you don't need smelling salts and CTE is just bullshit. And, you know, if you're if – you, You got to get hurt and play with pain, and we're going to, uh, you know, the Frank Kush type of deals, or we're going to, you if you're not going to be passing out, um, then you're not trying hard enough, and all this, all this antiquated nonsensical bullshit. Saban and these guys—they're only a generation removed from that. So for some of these guys, it's kind of hard to kind of see what's happening in the world of college football and college athletics, A.K.A. They're losing their grip, they're losing their power, they're losing their control over the young men. No longer can these guys say, jump, and the student athlete replies, how high? No, that stuff is quickly going by the wayside. All of a sudden now, the athletes are starting to have rights, and for coaches who you know are all about power, f- who are the most powerful people, not just on their campus, not just on their university, but, but in some instances, the state is kind of a uh, jarring new reality for those guys. So some of that stuff I can understand. But but here's the deal, man. Here's the situation. Um, when you're speaking about in Alabama, when you're speaking about some of these, 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 these powers, and I'm just going to be concentrating on football because football is what drives the train here even more, much more than basketball. When you're speaking about some of these institutions in terms of the football programs are concerned and you're speaking about some of the elites of college football programs, man, and you're speaking about an Ohio State, you're speaking about, an Alabama or a Georgia or a Clemson over the past couple of years or in Oklahoma. And when you speak about the schools with the most college football playoff appearances in the nine seasons since the semifinals came to fruition, and you speak about Alabama having seven college football playoff appearances, and you're speaking about Clemson having six, Oklahoma and Ohio State having four, when you're speaking about Alabama having nine wins in 13 games and winning three national titles. When you're speaking about Clemson having six victories in 10 games and having two national championships. When you speak about Ohio State having three victories in six games and having a championship. When you're speaking about LSU, when you're speaking about Oklahoma, the many times that they've been in there, it's a situation where these programs and these coaches, man, let me tell you something, NIL, all of these new rules, it's not going to change anything. If you're coaching at an Alabama or if you're coaching the football program at Alabama, LSU, Oklahoma, Clemson, uh, now Texas A&M, Ohio State, USC, Michigan, Georgia, you're still going to remain the leading contenders for conference championships, which means you're still going to be at the top of the line, at the top of the heat, the cream of the crop, if I can use those cliches in terms of being better than everybody else regardless of nil regardless of some of the new power that has been given to the players you're still going to be that you're still going to be that alpha male so i don't know what the big flipping deal is you've got other programs notre dame oregon florida texas a&m florida texas uh florida state those teams on off years are going to be competing for championships Really, if you're speaking about teams like Oklahoma State, Wisconsin, Tennessee, Washington, UCLA, uh, North Carolina, Auburn, Michigan State, uh, West Virginia, Kansas State, the only thing that NIL and the new rules about transferring is going to be helping those guys, it's only going to help those guys get the better bowl games. That's it. It's not going to help Wisconsin overtake Ohio State Auburn is not going to become a better program than Alabama. M- Michigan State is not going to get to the level of Ohio State on a consistent basis. Tennessee will not be threatening Georgia anytime soon. Washington UCLA is not going to be uh, going to be uh, be real consistent competitors to USC. Now since Lincoln Riley is there, it's not going to be happening. So you know this stuff about you know th- fr- being you know worried about NIL doing anything to damage or b- bringing parity to college football. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Alabama's still going to be great. <laughs> LSU is going to be great, especially now since they got Brian Kelly. Clemson is still going to be great. Along they still have Dabo. USC with Lincoln Riley, they're still going to be great. Ryan Day at Ohio State is still going to be great. Uh, Jim Harbaugh showed that, you know what, maybe maybe Michigan is ready to turn the corner. There's a really big building type of uh, dynasty in the works down in Athens, Georgia, with with, with uh, what Kirby Smart is putting together, so th- this th- every blue moon that Notre Dame, an Oregon, a Florida State, a Texas, they might uh, they might invade the party of the elite of the truly elite every season or two or three, but it's not going to be a situation where because of NIL. And the transfer portal that all of a sudden West Virginia is going to become this powerhouse or Kansas State is going to become this powerhouse or North Carolina or Auburn or Georgia Tech or Washington State or Oregon, or, me, or Oregon State are going to be all of a sudden now or Penn State are all of a sudden now going to be at the same level of the elite programs that I just mentioned. No, no. And did Texas A&M quote-unquote buy their highest rated recruits? Of course they did. But guess what? I'm quite sure Alabama was also dealing in some nefarious recruiting techniques, also to get themselves some of the players that they've gotten. So come on, man, welcome to college football. So that's my deal about that. All right, I'm out of here. Want well, to thank everybody for listening to my podcast. Um, as I mentioned before in the beginning of my podcast, when I was speaking about uh, uh, the instances of domestic terrorism in this country, man. Again, as I mentioned before, to have the stuff to stop is not going to come from my generation. It's not going to come from the generation before or after me. Not going to be happening. Let's get to our kids. Let's talk to our kids. Let's talk to the children. Let's talk to the younger generation. Let's talk to the teenagers. Make them aware. Open their eyes. Get them educated on what's going on. Teach them. Learn to love one another. Open their eyes so we can be cognizant. In terms of when we see somebody who's bad, when we see somebody who's racist, when we see somebody who's ignorant, when we see somebody who's trying to pull the wool over their eyes, pull the wool over our eyes with stupidity and and ignorance and that type of thing. Have them open up their mind again. Education supersedes ignorance every step of the way. Get out there, man, and have a conversation with someone who does not look like you. Have a difficult conversation with someone of a different race, of a different gender, of a different Uh, political background, of a different uh, religion, somebody, somewhere different, have a situation, have a talk, learn about somebody who's from another side of the globe, another side of the tracks, another side of the town, of the city, of the state that you're living in. Have a conversation, ask them questions, inundate them with knowledge about what you're going through, what you're all about. Have a conversation with someone who's Asian. Have a conversation with someone who's gay. Have a conversation with someone who's black. Have a conversation with, with someone who's poor. Have these conversations, please, so we can learn about each other. So the hate and the nonsense and the ignorant and the evils of others that are being spewed our way all the time, all throughout the day, every day of our life, will be null and void in terms of having an impact of how we run our lives and how we view people and how we treat each other. Let's start having those conversations now. Be very much appreciated. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, be good to each other. Going to leave you with a little bit of music.